at this point, we've seen the gospel spread throughout uh, Jerusalem, overflow into Judea and Samaria. And then last week, we saw that the gospel was going to begin its move towards the ends of the earth. We know, we know the end of the story. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, half a world away, worshiping a Jewish carpenter. So we know the end of the story. The question is, how, does it, how did we get here? The, how did we get from a small group of people on a, on a mountain to where the, the ends of the earth heard about the good news of Jesus? So that's what we've been doing, tracking the movement of the gospel throughout the world. Last week, we were introduced to this guy named Saul. Later, his name was going to be changed to Paul. He, uh, Saul started, when we were first introduced to him, he was, he was giving his approval to the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. And Paul gave his approval as a, as a, a Jewish official, official to this, this stoning. The, uh, uh, over the next three years, Paul becomes the leading person in this persecution of the Jews. Or excuse me, of the, of the, the followers of the way, of the Christians. He becomes the leading uh, person responsible for the persecution of people who follow the gospel. Until one particular day, he was on a road headed to the city of Damascus to further his persecution, and he comes in contact with the Savior of the world, Jesus. And everything is radically, radically changed in his life, in his worldview. And now he becomes the leading proponent, the leading uh, advocate for this, this thing known as the way, this movement known as the way, what would later become known as Christianity. He becomes the, the number one person to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And if you remember, he got after about 10 years of, of, of uh, education, learning about the gospel, walking with the apostles and the, the other disciples, he took off around the rest of the Mediterranean rim. And he would go to a city, he would share the gospel with the, the, the Jews there in the city, in the synagogue. They would throw him out. He'd go back in to the same city, to the Gentiles. He'd share the gospel. And many, many people were coming to know Christ, placing their faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross for their salvation. And then the result is that God's grace would, would rain down on them and their, their uh, sin would be placed on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness would be placed on them. This was happening over and over and over again. This went on for about two years while Jude, uh, uh, Paul made his way around the world, around the Mediterranean Rim. This went on for about two years until suddenly a controversy sprung up. And that's where we're going to be this morning. In Acts chapter 15, when the, the first real controversy of, controversy of the early church springs up. I've noticed from the last well, 10 years that I've been in ministry, and longer than that for you know, uh, growing up in a, in a minister's house, I've noticed that that Christians, that, that church people, have a tendency, uh, just naturally, naturally they're drawn, that, it's almost like a magnet, uh, drawn to adding things to the gospel. I mean, it's just a natural occurrence. We just have these good lists of things that we think that every good Christian should do, dress the right way, show up at the right time, you know. We have this list of things that we 
add to the gospel so that God will love us more and we can count ourselves as true believers, as true Christians. It's just a natural a natural pool, like, like, my, like my son's room. It naturally moves towards disaster. The same thing is said about Christians as far as adding to the gospel. We just, we just have this tendency to just... I, now, I know the gospel is just faith by God's grace, but if we're good. If we really want God to love, love us a little bit more, we'll do this. If, if we really want God to love us a little bit more, we'll show up here. And just naturally over time, we start to layer the gospel with rules and legalism. Many times we don't even realize it. Two examples of this in my life or, or my family's life. Number one, first, first example of this, I was a junior or sophomore in high school. I don't remember how old I was, but I'll never forget the night. If you're about my age, you may have gone to a thing called True Love Waits Rally. It was every year. I mean, we had it. Um, ours was in uh, November. Every year, I mean, it was like clockwork. We had this uh, True Love Waits Rally. What we would do is we'd find an auditorium in a school. All the churches in the city would go to that school, and we'd have this rally. This particular year, Eaton Middle School, Hampton, Virginia. I'll never forget it. We packed into this middle school auditorium. Thousands of kids. I mean, it's, it's a big middle school. There were probably 1,500 kids in this auditorium. It was packed. We had some songs and some games. We were having a great time, a great night together for this True Love Wakes route. After the songs were over, this young lady came out of the back, through the curtains, and stepped up onto the stage. She said, her name, she said, I want to tell you my story. She told the story about growing up um, with a single mom who was in and out. And as a result, she found a lot of her worth in, in boyfriends. And um, she didn't know Christ. And so uh, one particular night, they, 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 her words were, we made a mistake. I don't know if that's a mistake, but it, I mean, it's a mistake, but I don't think it was an accident. But she just made it seem like, you know, one thing led to another. And the result was that my boyfriend and I were going to have a baby girl. Well, after I found out that, that I was pregnant, my boyfriend hit the road. And I ended up having this sweet girl who I love. But um, the result was that I never was able to finish high school. I had to get my GED. I was never going to be able to go to college. I had these dreams, never going to be able to fulfill them. I haven't been able to find a husband. I'm in my late 20s. I haven't been able to find anybody that loves me. And the application of her entire testimony was just terrible, honestly. The application of her entire testimony is, I want you to sign this card at the end of the night so you don't end up like me. I want you to sign the card at the end of the night so that you can fulfill all your dreams and your hopes and your desires. And that will be proof. Because you fulfilled your dreams, your hopes, your desires, that is the proof that Jesus loves you. She exited the stage. And after that, a, an itinerant youth speaker, he would go around all around the U.S., came out. And I showed you a video several months ago. Many of you will probably remember it. Some of you weren't, weren't here may not remember it. But it was of Matt Chandler, and he was talking about a rose. And the reason that, that, that testimony and that, that video is so gripping for me is because I've experienced it. 
And it happened this night as a sophomore junior in high school. This guy came out with his, his rose, and red rose, and he took it and he said, look at this rose, how pretty it is. Smelt it, how, oh, how great it smells. He said, I want y'all to, I want y'all to experience the rose as well. And so he tossed it down to the guy right there on the front row, and he smelt it, smelt good, and passed it along. Next 15, 20 minutes, he, I, I wouldn't have described it this way at the time because it was normal for me, but he used manipulation and guilt as well as anybody that I've ever been around into manipulating high schoolers and junior high students into signing this card for purity of all kinds. Now, before I, before I dog on him too much more, I mean, I know I already have a lot, but before I dog on him too much more, I, I understand his heart. I mean, as a dad, dad's moms, you, I get this. I, mean, I, I want my kids to have a boring testimony. I don't want, I, I get that. But don't misunderstand, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. My desire for my kids to live a life that is boring, that has no drugs involved, no impurity involved, it's a, it's a, as a dad, I think every dad wants that. But don't misunderstand, that is not, that is not the gospel. That night, before 1,500 junior high and high school students, he equated morality with the gospel. He did what is the natural drift, the natural tendency, the natural pool of Christians, of, of the church, of church people. And that's, to build on top of the gospel as if it needs it. To make God love us more. And he was masterful in his manipulation and in his guilt. By God, I was running to the front of that auditorium with my signed card when it was all said and done. Because I didn't understand the difference. This morning, I guarantee you, some of you have a past that you would love to Either because of your own choosing or the choosing of somebody else's. Your desire is to get rid of it. And you have lived in the guilt of those choices. And I just want to tell you the gospel is the power. That brings forgiveness. It is the power that washes it away. It is the power that allows you to stand up and say there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are found in Christ. None. That's the gospel. And that is the gospel in its entirety. There's nothing built on top of it. Second example of the church's natural drift towards legalism, towards Rules is my mom's testimony. My mom, she loves Jesus today. She drives me nuts, but she loves Jesus today. I'm just kidding. I mean, all moms do. I'm sort of kidding. I guess I should say that. That's her job. That's her, that's her job as mom. She loves the Lord. And more than that, she loves that her kids love the Lord. But it didn't start out that way. When she was young, she was at a church like this, just a regular church in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And she, her heart was, 
knew that she needed a Savior. She was a sinner, a, a need, desperate need of a Savior, even as a, a young six, seven-year-old. And she went up to the front. She said, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. The pastor said, that's right. Then he said, so tell me, have, in, the, in the recent past, have you been nice to your parents? Have you been treating your sister right? She said, yes. He said, okay, I want you to sign this card, and next week we'll baptize you. What? That's not the gospel. She knew it as a young, even as a young six, seven-year-old. There's something missing. There's something more than just being nice to your parents and your sister. So she went forward again. Same pastor, same result. You've been nice to your parents and your sister. Yes. I want you to sign this card. Next week, we'll, we'll baptize you. Happened again. The Lord just would not leave her heart alone, even as a young child. A couple years later, this is by the, by the time she's an early teen, she goes back forward, same pastor. I, I know I've come before twice, but there's just something missing. Something's not right. He said, I, yes, you've you got you to make sure you're fully committed. Make sure you're, it's, you're all in. I mean, have you been really, really, really nice to your parents? Have you been really, really, really nice to your sister? Yes, I have. As best I can. All right, sign this piece of paper. Next week, we'll baptize you. It wasn't until she was in college, she began to be in real Christian community that she realized the gospel is more than being nice to your mom and dad and treating your sister nicely. And it makes my point that there is this natural drift, this natural tendency to think that morality will appease a holy God. And it's been like that since the beginning. And it is not the gospel. It is not what it takes to appease, to be in a right standing with a holy God. You are not that good and I'm not either. And it's been going on since the very beginning. That's what happened in chapter 15 when Paul confronts this issue. At the beginning, at the genesis of the movement of Christianity around the world. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 1 of Acts chapter 15. It says this. But some men came down from Judea. Now, they came down from Antioch. To Judea, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's what's going on. Paul has gone to, is going to cities, he's planting a church, seeing people come to know Christ, and then moving on to the next city. He finds out that there are some, some people from a Jewish background that are following him to those cities, and they're saying, what Paul's telling you is true. This faith and grace thing is true. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus, first, you have to be a follower of Moses. If you want to be a follower of the way, if you want to be a follower of Christianity, that's great. But before that, you first have to be a follower of Judaism. Here is what that means. you got to keep a long list of laws and customs. You're going to have to change your dietary habits. You're going to have to change the, the, 
the, uh, the way that you act. You're going to have to change uh, the, the customs that you're used to obey. You're going to have to change everything that you've known, become Jewish first, and then you can be a Christian. Follow Moses, then you can follow Jesus. Oh, and by the way, guys, it's going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> and they're going, wait, 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 wait. Paul didn't tell us that. That's not what Paul said. If we want to right standing with God, we have to place our faith in Christ. And in the, his finished work on the cross, and in, in return, when we place our faith in, faith in Christ, his grace is going to overflow into our lives. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fill us to the brim, to overflowing. And my sin is going to be placed on Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness is going to be placed on me. He didn't say anything about these 600 plus laws that you say I have to keep. What's going on with that? And Paul gets word of this. He gets word of this teaching, and he is not impressed. Here's what happens. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, those are the guys that are teaching that before, you, you be a, before you're a follower of Jesus, first you have to be a follower of Moses. Before you're a, a, you can be a believer, before you can be a Christian, first you have to be Jewish. He was not excited about that teaching. So he went and he confronted these guys, had no small dissension and debate. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, Paul has been going around to these cities for two plus years. He finds out that this is what's being taught behind his ministry. He's not happy about it. He is so unhappy. He is so distraught about this teaching that he puts this missionary uh, journey on hold. He stops it. And he goes back to Jerusalem to confront this most important issue. It can be summed up in one question. What is the gospel? What does it take to have a right standing with God? It was so important to Paul to figure out the answer with the other apostles and the other disciples that he put his ministry on hold. He put on hold what he believed he was put on this earth to do. That's how important this question and answering it correctly was to Paul. So he heads back to Jerusalem and he meets with the apostles. And here's what he says. Or here's what happens. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, described, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. So he's headed back to Jerusalem, and on the way he stops in these cities, Phoenicia and Samaria, and he tells them, the gospel is on the move. I am, I'm stopping in cities, after city, after city. And in every place, churches are being planted. People are, are flocking to this good news of the gospel. Faith and grace. Faith and grace. They're flocking to it. It is moving like wildfire around the world. Keep, keep going. Back towards Jerusalem. When they came back, or uh, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done. With them, So they give testimony in Jerusalem as well. The gospel is on the move. People are giving their life to Christ. They understand their need for a Savior, their desperate need for a Savior. And the gospel is on the move around the world. He brings an awesome, exciting testimony back to Jerusalem about the advancement of the gospel. And then they get down to business. Paul says, 
The gospel's moving, but what y'all are teaching, what started here in Jerusalem and what the Jewish people that come from a Jewish background are teaching, it's completely different. And we need to figure this out. What is the gospel? What does it mean to have a right standing with God? What does it mean to be a member of the church globally? We've got to figure this out. So they get down to business in the next verse. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Stop right there. This is huge. We just read right over, at least I do when I'm reading this myself on my quiet time. Throughout the New Testament, definitely throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're always the ones that are opposed to Jesus. They're always on the opposite side. But apparently, at least some of the Pharisees saw what Jesus taught. They also saw what he did, how he was crucified, buried, and rose from the grave. And they said, I don't understand, but I don't have a category for this one. I'm following you. But... The, 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 the uh, Judaism that they came from had a, a natural pool, a natural, a natural uh, 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 weight in their life that they could not extricate themselves completely from the laws that they had been brought up to obey. And so this is what they said. It is necessary to circumcise them, them being the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. If they want to be a follower of Jesus, great. First, they have to be a follower of Moses. They want to be. Uh, they want to follow Christianity, great. First, they have to follow Judaism. Was what they were teaching. Next verse. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Next verse. And after they had, uh, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. Now I can imagine if they're in a room, Peter's in the, kind of in the middle, in the round. And he's kind of the leader, he's the natural leader, he's the one who, uh, who uh, has kind of risen to the top at, up to this point. Eventually Paul will kind of take that, that, uh, uh, that label, but at this point Peter's kind of the man. He's the one who everybody looks to. So they've had this great debate, what is the gospel? Peter stands up, he begins to preach, and here's what he says. Brothers. You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he says, look, Paul's not the only one who's taken the gospel to the Gentiles. I have two. He continues. And God, who knows the heart. Do you believe that? I don't know your heart. I hear what you say. We hear conversations that you have, but God who knows your deepest longings, your deepest desires, he knows your heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Next verse. And he made no distinction between us, Jewish people, and them, Gentiles, that's you and me, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Next verse. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke around the neck or on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. This is huge. Peter stands up in this packed room in my mind's eye and he says, look, you're trying to place, you're, you're trying to front load the gospel with 600 plus laws 
and this surgery. You're trying to front load the gospel. With all of these other legalistic things. And this is a weight that not even you and I can bear. Not even our fathers could bear. So you're trying to place this weight on them that not even you and I can handle. He continues. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And that's the gospel. He goes on through the the sermon, and we're not going to walk through any more of it, but as he comes to a close, again, in my mind's eye, I think back back in the corner, at the back of the room, stands up a man named James who grew up with Jesus. He was his half brother. He's heard everything that's been said. If you jump down to verse 19, James begins to speak and he says, Therefore, based on everything that we've heard, based on everything that's been said, here is what I, my judgment is. That we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. I love what the NIV says. I want to make sure I get it right. Here's what the NIV says. It says this. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God. I love that. We should not, church, make it difficult for unbelievers to turn to God. We shouldn't make it difficult. So James stands up and he says, "We got this is a faith by grace thing. Jesus has done the work on our behalf. We don't, need to, we don't need to weight down the gospel. We don't need to front load the gospel with people, with this list, list of do's and don'ts, uh, legalism, uh, commandments. Let's make it easy for those that are outsiders to become insiders. Let's make it easy for those to turn to God. The gospel is offensive enough. We don't have to front load it with legalism. He continues. But, this is really weird. This is interesting. But we should write to them, to the people in Antioch and the Gentiles, to abstain from the things that, that uh, from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. To which my response is, James, you just said let's not make it difficult for people to turn to God. Why in the world would you put these things in there? Here's why. James is saying this. In Christ, because of the gospel, we are free. There is freedom in the gospel. Freedom to do what is right. Freedom to, 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 to uh, push and to run after Christ with everything that we have. There's complete and total freedom. But because these Things that are polluted by idols, um, things that have been strangled, things that come from blood, are so offensive to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's just ask them to set aside their freedom for the sake of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And sexual immorality, an outside world acts like that. An an outside world uh, lives their life in an immoral way. So let's tell the the, the, the Gentiles. 
That we want to be set apart. We want to be different from the rest of the world. So let's abstain from sexual immorality. And let's abstain from things that are polluted by, uh, by idols. Things that have been strangled. Things that, come, that still have blood in them. Let's abstain from those things. So that you do not become a stumbling block. You don't do something that is offensive to your brothers and your sisters in Christ who come from a Jewish background. James is saying this. You've got complete freedom in Christ. Complete and total freedom in Christ. Do, do not use your freedom as a stumbling block for your brothers and your sisters who are in Christ. Do Set aside your freedom for the sake of your brothers and sisters so that you don't offend them. There have been several times, many times, I've set aside my freedom in Christ for the sake of teenagers who were under my leadership. There have been many times that, I, that others have set aside their freedom in Christ for my sake. Let's not use our freedom to be a stumbling block for brothers and sisters in Christ who are on this journey with us towards Christ's likeness. That was the admonition from James. James concludes, says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he uh, is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So basically, these are the things that are taught in the synagogues around the world every single week. So let's ask them not to offend those who come from a Jewish background. Well, they conclude this, this meeting in this room amongst the Gentile, or amongst the, uh, the apostles and the disciples, the early, earliest Christians. They conclude this, and they write a letter just as James said. And the, they, they commission a couple people to take that letter to Antioch, to the Gentiles. The Gentiles receive it. And here's what happens. Jump down to verse 30. So when they, the Gentile believers in Antioch, or excuse me, these were the missionaries, were sent off. They went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together. Those are the Gentile believers in Antioch. Gathering the congregation together, they delivered the, the letter. So they stood up before church and they say, here is the gospel. This is what it takes to have a right standing with God. This is the essence of the gospel. Here's the essence of the gospel. That when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. That's the gospel. It is encouraging. It's good news. It does not add weight to a list of do's and a list of don'ts. It is freeing. It is placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus and allowing His grace to invade your life. And your sin is placed on Christ. His righteousness is placed on you. It's the essence of the gospel. Being filled by the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. It's not a list of do's. It's not a list of don'ts. And it was encouraging to the early believers. In this journey of life, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. There's going to be turns that are unexpected. There's going to be tragedy. 
There's going to be others that seem to be more advanced in their in their pursuit of Christ than you are. There's going to be people who who just seem to not get it. They just they just don't get it. They they, they have that same disease as Peter. He says things that he regrets. You know, he doesn't say things he should. There's going to be people like that that come into your life in this journey towards Christ likeness. And the 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 natural tendency, the natural pull, the natural result is going to want to be to add layers to the gospel. You got to do this. You got to abstain from that. You, you, you need to add this. You need to not do that. And so that is why every week it seems like I just preach the same sermon from a different text with different illustrations because I want to reintroduce you to the gospel every week. Maybe it's just because I need it. But we need to be re gospel every week. It is not a list of do's. It is not a list of don'ts. The gospel can stand on its own. It's done so just fine for 2,000 years. And it has been transforming lives like Paul's ever since then as well. This morning, you know Christ. I don't have to stand up here and guilt you manipulate you into doing anything. Christ has done his completed work in you just fine. He's never needed my help. Mom and dad, the same is true for you with your kids. God is doing a work in them. If they know Christ, you do not have to be their conscience. He does it just fine. Now I'm not saying you don't guide them and lead them. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, He's doing a work in your kids. And he will continue to do that work until it is completed. When your kids see Jesus face to face. This morning, the gospel is great news. It's an encouragement. Just as it was to those early believers in Antioch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. It is good news. It can stand on its own. And it has been transforming lives for 2,000 years. Father, I thank you that it's transformed mine. Lord, I pray that we would be willing in our freedom to not be a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever that means. As much as it depends on us, we would not be a stumbling block. As our brothers and sisters desire to be transformed into your image a little bit more every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.